straightforward. There we go. Uh, hello, uh, this is Robert Yoho, and um, this is my uh, podcast, Surviving Healthcare. And I have a special guest on today named Russell Robinson, and he is living in Guernsey. And the date today is January 12th, 2022. So Russell, thank you and welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. How are, how's the weather in California? <laughs> well, it's colder than you might imagine, but it's not uh, it's not bad. It's sunny and everything. So, so um, Russell is a very smart and qualified guy, and he has been an observer of the pandemic uh, for, I mean, the entire time, and it closely read the studies and closely read the commentation, and um, he has developed... Uh, opinions that are similar to mine. Uh, and he has uh, several thousand people who follow him. He sends emails out and he, uh, so he has a platform probably as big as mine. <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, Russell, um, tell us what it's like first uh, living in Guernsey and the constraints you're, you're feeling because of the uh, uh, pandemic politics and the pandemic is, itself. I think uh, from what I see um, on the news uh, and the internet, we're probably better off than you are in California. Well, I'm sure we're better off than you are in California. Um, and we're probably better off than most of the states. Uh, we're quite a small island here. It's only 65,000 people. Um, I think the main constraints on our freedom at the moment are travel. We can go where we like. Uh, well, depending on the entrance policy of the of the country that we that we're flying to, but we can come back uh, unimpeded, except if you're unvaccinated, which is my which is the case with me. Needless to say, uh, in that case, you have to go into quarantine when you come back from all the countries in the world except for the UK, uh, of which we're sort of notionally apart. Uh, it currency has sort of a funny relationship with. Uh, with the UK it would be sort of akin to the US's relationship with Puerto Rico. They're, they're, they're joined, but not necessarily at the hip. Um, so when I come, I, I've had COVID within the last six months. So I'm still within the sort of grace period, as it were, uh, during which when you come back from uh, somewhere else other than the UK, you're allowed to come in without quarantine because for whatever arbitrary reason, the health authorities here and around the world have decided that natural immunity only lasts six months. Um, yeah, which insane. is sort of funny because if you have measles, they, they assume you're immune pretty much for life, if I understand it correctly. And the same with things like chickenpox. Uh, but COVID apparently for the first time in history only confers immunity for six months. Um, so say the, uh, the health officials. Yeah, it's crazy, it's irrational and it seems to be based on regulatory capture of the various governmental entities that are supposed to be uh, in charge of keeping the pharmaceutical companies under control. And it's, a, but let me back up for one second, um, just to let people know where you are. It's uh, what is it halfway between France and England and the English channel somewhere? Yeah, we're about a um, hundred miles South of um, the, the Southern coast of the UK and uh, maybe 30 miles off the coast of, of, of France. But it's, it's an English island. I mean, we, we speak English here. Uh, I'm obviously not from here originally, but uh, English is the spoken language. It, it is a bit funny though, because a lot of the signs are both in English and French. 
but nobody speaks French. So it's, it's just a, a nod, a, a, a historical nod uh, rather than anything else. It's a political thing. So how, how big is that island from stem to stern with your 60,000? Oh, maybe uh, about five miles from top to bottom. Oh my God! So you can walk across the whole. Oh, if I fall over, if I fall over, my, my head goes in the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know I went and checked it out on YouTube, and it sounded like a fun place to visit. But I'm not sure I'd want to spend three and a half years there. How long are you planning on hanging? Um, it's a funny one, but it's a great place for the kids. I mean, there's no crime right. at all. Right. Uh, it, it, when we first moved here, there was a story in the newspaper about a, a, a serious crime that had occurred. Somebody's garden hose uh went missing from their front uh, from their front yard and that was a, a crime worthy of of newspaper coverage so that sort of tells you <laughs> that sort of tells you where we stand i think probably with, with a possible exception maybe of, of japan this probably is the safest place on the planet so it's a it's a great place to raise kids and ours are nine and thirteen um and in normal times when we could actually fly in and out you know, as we like, although again, the restrictions aren't so much on this end, but the other end, I mean, Spain uh, is very difficult. France won't let us in at all. They won't even, even triple vaccinated Brits aren't allowed into France now, which of course, as we'll get to later, begs the question, what was the point of the bloody vaccines in the first place? If they don't allow you any privileges that the unvaxxed don't have. Um, but right. So right now, yeah, we do feel like we're sort of on Papillon. We can't, you know, the, our travel, uh, options are are quite reduced so ordinarily there are no flights across the pond to the united states but france britain and several other uh, european countries are on the list of people of places you can fly to right uh well under normal circumstances obviously we go wherever we like almost inevitably through gatwick airport in london because you know for obvious reasons there aren't a lot of direct flights from guernsey to really anywhere right. other than the uk and the odd yeah there's the odd flight to france or spain um but uh, in normal times, it's a great place to live. You know, the standard of living is great. The government is about as libertarian as you, you could hope for. Um, Which means they uh, leave you the heck alone, right? They, yeah, they, yeah, up until recently. But as we know, the sort of mask has come off now with a lot of these governments and things that they sort of whispered under their breath, they now feel emboldened to just do out loud. Um, and, you know, you, you can actually see what's underneath the, these, these masks now. And it's not really pretty. So I understand that you're having a meeting in within a month and you actually got a couple of the worldwide experts to uh, come virtually to Guernsey and talk about the COVID problems. Is that they're still on your list? Yeah, as of now, we're expecting uh, Peter McCullough to do a video link uh, and Michael Yeadon. And I, I'm, I'm sure most of the people uh, would know who those two people are if, if they're paying any attention at all. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was quite a coup. That's a coup. Um, and um, our format is, you know, I think we'll have about 500 uh, people there live, which on an island of 65,000 is, is That's quite a, a few. Impressive. Um, and um, we, we hope to get some of the statements by our, our local health authorities, and I use the word authority advisedly, um, yeah, and we'll take some of their more absurd statements uh, read them out and then get these two experts who are infinitely more qualified than our local you know, characters uh, to refute them. Um, That's great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it, actually, because these, <laughs> yeah, these, these halfwits that 
are in charge of the health department here. One of them is still putting out statements that there's absolutely no risk with the vaccines, even though the doctors in his own hospital, um, two of whom are in our COVID group, uh, who want to abolish most of these policies, have told them that there are people coming in with myocarditis. In some cases, in one, one kid was in a few weeks ago who was only 20 with myocarditis the day after his uh, vaccination. And according to the cardiologist, who's my friend, uh, he's never going to be the same again. He won't, he won't recover from this fully. And all of that to avoid what? A, a cough? You, you, you've ruined, your, ruined yourself for life, so you wouldn't have the inconvenience of a cough for a week or two. So Hard to imagine. Um, just to back up once more, um, McCullough has published over 600 uh, papers in the peer-reviewed literature. He's one of the most storied academics in America, and he is standing up against this uh, narrative. Uh, he's almost a Cassandra. It's very difficult to to come uh, to uh, talk over the, the the screaming of the mainstream media with all of their uh paid off uh, advisors and uh, third rate academics like uh, Fauci. Um, and the other guy, it was a former uh, Pfizer uh, VP, wasn't he, Yaden? Or he was, was, I think he was uh, 15 or 20 years at Pfizer as one of their more senior scientists, which is no small thing. I mean, Pfizer has obviously the, the pick of the litter, so to speak, and there would be thousands of um, uh, scientists who on paper would be highly qualified because of their degrees uh, who they, from, whom, from which they could pick. And they, they chose Yeadon. Uh, and then he rose through the ranks to become, I think, the, just about the, the highest ranking pure scientist at, at Pfizer. And he was, uh, there, there could scarcely be a person on the planet more qualified uh, than Yeadon to opine on the efficacy or lack of efficacy and dangers of these vaccines. So when he speaks, people really should listen. There's a lot of ways we could go with this conversation, but the listeners should understand there are roughly a thousand academic papers now saying that this uh, quote vaccine is much worse than nothing and describing the many, many problems, including myocarditis in kids. The background myocarditis rate in America has risen from a few hundred to th in, into the thousands, and it's thought to be due to this uh, vaccine. And 25% of people with myocarditis go on to long-term problems or, or death. I mean, horrible problems that cardiac cells do not regenerate. And once that you kill them, uh, scar tissue replaces them. So I always like to quote Peter Rost, who's a former Pfizer marketing vice president. He said in his book, The Whistleblower, it's scary how many similarities there are between this industry and the mob. Obscene amounts of money, killings and deaths, bribing politicians and others. The difference is all these people in the drug industry look upon themselves as law-abiding citizens. However, when they get together as a group, it's almost like when you have war atrocities, people do things they don't think they're capable of because the group can validate what you're doing is okay. And this industry collectively has had more criminal settlements before U.S. federal prosecutors in any industry in history, billions of dollars a year, and Pfizer is the champion. Another quote was from the Park Davis pharmaceutical CEO. He, he was responsible for killing a lot of kids with chloramphenicol. He said, quote, if we put horse manure in a capsule, we could sell it to 95% of these doctors. So that's big pharma's attitude towards us and the doctors. I mean, it's, it's, it's 
freaking terrible. And this well, product, the, the, the problem is, is, is that that ability to sell horse manuring capsules produces billions and billions of, of, of dollars in profit, which gives them an unimaginable amount of money to spread around to the very people who we've trusted to look out for our interests and who are now looking out for the interests of the drug companies instead of the, of the people after whom they should be looking, namely us. So how many of these politicians are getting direct uh, campaign contributions from the likes of Pfizer and Moderna and Merrick? I, I don't know. How, how many of these, uh, of these so-called scientists uh, are, are, are willing to overlook any, any atrocity, any, any genuine science in the hope that maybe one day they'll land a job at Big Pharma, which they know they won't get if they speak up? Um, how many doctors are unwilling to speak up because they just want to fit in the, into the herd with the other sheep and not stand out for persecution? Um, so is it only money that's motivating most of these people to overlook hundreds of years of, of scientific advancement and pretend it, the last 300 years never happened and, and we're still living in the, in the 18th or 17th century scientifically and the, the, some of the nonsense that they spout and the obvious uh, science that they ignore? You can't attribute it all to money. Pfizer can't be paying all these people off, obviously. But I think you've got the herd, the herd mentality. Um, and then there's also the political aspect. It's not a coincidence that you see most, not all, but if you took everyone that was a, a rabid advocate of these vaccines and a rabid advocate of the theory that COVID is an existential threat to the world and it's the worst thing that's happened since smallpox, despite it being hundreds of times less dangerous than smallpox. These people tend to be on the left politically, not all, but most. And most of the people in our position where we look at the actual science and the data and come to the conclusion uh, that there are two things at play. One, the vaccine is probably more dangerous than the virus itself. And number two, that COVID is not remotely as dangerous as they make it out to be, except for a, a, a small segment uh, to whom it is quite dangerous. But that segment is predictable and, and can be dealt with without destroying the entire economy. But overall, it, it seems to be sort of a left against right uh, issue to, to, to some significant extent. So a lot of people seem on the left just seem to fall into place with this um, just because it's the extant philosophy of the left that COVID is, is, is the worst thing that's happened to the world since the Black Plague, perhaps, and that the vaccines are the savior, despite the fact that they've been proven not to work. Well, I don't think that's universally true. Alex Berenson, who's a Substack uh, commentator and a former New York Times uh, um, contributor, you know, an, an author, um, he is he he examined the uh, statistics on COVID early in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, he identified that uh, the the narratives that were coming about the thing swamping the world and millions of deaths were all a pack of lies. Uh, and he's been writing about that ever since. So rather than get into politics, there's an awful lot to unpack that, that is obvious. Uh, and that is that uh, uh, regulatory capture is possible when you have a healthcare industry in America that is at least the size of the federal government. So they are the biggest contributors to lobbying in our Congress and where America goes, so goes the rest of the world. I mean, it, it's crazy. And I, I mean, the, w the way these other countries have fallen in line with our collective insanity is just, it's, it's beyond belief. Um, I never thought I'd see, I, I, I never in my life thought I'd see something like this. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, like living in a Huxley novel. You just, you, you can't believe the sort of mass psychosis. Yeah. Uh, I, I see people 
Uh, we had a, a workman come to our house today. They're doing, they're putting some tiles in. He was in a room by himself with a mask on. Despite, I mean, the evidence is there that the mask doesn't do anything, even if you're surrounded by people. But there are a hundred studies on masks. By yourself? There are a hundred yeah. studies on masks and two supposedly confirmed that they helped, but those studies were adulterated. Um, now that issue is pretty much closed for anyone with half a brain. I mean, the data is there and the data isn't the least bit ambiguous. They, they, they do. And it's not surprising if you look at the viral particles being two microns um, and the, the, whole, the pores in the mask being larger than that, it's not entirely surprising that they don't do anything except give you ridiculously high exposure to CO2, which builds up inside the mask. But in any case, just as an example of this sort of mass psychosis, here's this, here's this guy sitting there putting tiles in, in a room by himself wearing a mask. You couldn't make it up. So the, the verbiage is important. And one thing that has been emphasized over and over is that this is a vaccine. And it actually is not a vaccine. Um, at best, with the price of the tremendous side effects and fatalities that it delivers, it decreases the severity of the disease by two to four months, and that's it. It provides no immunity, it, it doesn't prevent spread, and good evidence has developed that the people who have had, uh, had, had the vaccines are much more likely to get the newer variants. So it's, it's and been- is that a, now, Would you attribute that to um, a weakened immune system? Because there's some evidence, as I understand it, that the vaccine will weaken one's immune system, which obviously would leave them more vulnerable to anything in the future, not just this virus. Well, well um, you know, that's a little further into the weeds than I have an interest in. But from what I understand, um, the theories go like this. Um, the vaccine hones the immune system against um, the last variant, right? And the newer variant is something different, somewhat different. And so it doesn't seem to work. And so we've got a stepped up immune response to uh, whatever spike protein variant they stick in the uh, the vaccine, you know, the I quote vaccine, the unvaccine, the the thing that they've changed the definition of vaccine in order to promote uh, at at you know at our federal level, they changed the definition of vaccine. So um, that's that that's my knowledge of uh, of that particular issue. But the whole thing is is just an unmitigated disaster, and a lot of people don't understand that the pharmaceutical companies have been, been making up stories and propaganda for decades. And it's been much worse since 2000. And I, as my listeners know, I wrote a book about it after four years of study called Butchered by Healthcare. And that's available on Amazon. And so there's my little advertisement. But I, I examined many situations that were similar and analogous to this with other drugs where the pharmaceutical companies made uh, made up uh, the horror stories and then uh, promoted their medications as, uh, uh, you know, cure-alls. Um, but this time, they have the most profitable drug in history. It beats even the psych drugs. And, and they have 18% of, of Americans on psych drugs. I mean, it's stunning. The psych, the psych drugs are, are the, probably the worst story in, in American healthcare before this. I mean, they, they don't have good studies with... Uh, placebo-controlled sugar pills, and the drugs are tremendously toxic, cause uh, violence in the case of the Prozac-class drugs, and in the class of the um, atypical antipsychotics, uh, decreased lifespan by 10 to 20 years. I mean, that's well known. Uh, are, these, uh, are these antidepressants? The antidepressants cause uh, violence, and that was well known, and Lilly, who developed Prozac, 
or marketed Prozac. Uh, this was revealed in discovery during initial lawsuits of uh, family members who had committed suicide, threw themselves in front of trains and all kinds of stuff. Um, and they had to turn over the, the documentation that they knew about the violent tendencies in a certain percentage of people who take Prozac. Uh, they, they knew about that before they marketed the drug, they concealed it. And ever since then, they have been, um, they have been, they've spent 50 or $100 million uh, settling these lawsuits and sealing them. You know, so I mean, the mendacity, mendacity of these people is beyond any comprehension of a normal person. And well, the, yeah. So you well, heard, it comes down to you can't put a corporation in prison. So if, if you're a, if you're a drug company like Pfizer and you you have a product which may do more harm than good, but you're going to make three billion on it and you have to pay a billion in criminal fines. The word criminal becomes sort of a non sequitur when no one actually has a no one no no individual human pays the price. It just becomes a civil fine. So um, you know they, it, it's just a business decision. We'll make three million, pay one million in fines. And uh, it's you know, it, we have a two million profit. I mean, you would like to think people wouldn't actually do things like that, um, but you, they do. They're agnostic as to harms. They're they're basically. I don't think that any of them is set out to kill us, but they are indifferent if as long as the net income is is good. Some of the close observers uh, think that we should adopt the Chinese philosophy of killing the chicken to scare the monkey. Right. Kill the so they think we should dismember one of these companies and bankrupt it, distribute the assets, put the leaders in jail. But with entities this size and with a healthcare industry as big as this, and with a federal government that is weak and impotent compared to compared to them, um, we can't do it. And the federal prosecutors are are known as the chicken shit club by uh, one of the commentators. That's the title of a book about the phenomenon. And the, the, the people who wrote the book think that we are destroying our rule of law by not, not uh, enforcing, enforcing these things against these criminal companies. Well, once, you, once you take on board the, 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 the simple and eternal truth that politicians have one priority that overrides all else, which is getting reelected the next time, the, the stream of campaign contributions, uh, which, are, which are allowed to be very large because these drug companies make so much money, direct and indirect contributions, uh, and the, ver the other areas in which they spread the money around, it's almost impossible. I don't think they're weak and impudent so much as they've been bought off. You know, it's, it's, it's like being in Mexico where the drug gangs distribute cash to the police every week, or New York for that matter. Um, and yeah, you've bought off the authorities um, and you can act with impunity. And um, in my view, that's pretty much what happens in, in the U.S. They, they, they can act with impunity because they've bought off the, the, the crooked politicians. Yeah. It's a sad As if there's any other kind, one would be tempted to say. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> um, one of the things that, I mean, our job is to bring the cynicism of the listeners up so they don't listen to the TV, the standard me mainstream media, and there are sources of information that aren't being censored. And I mean, your listeners probably understand that censorship is rampant in the United States and the rest of the world, and that these tech companies are cooperating, and that this is, in the United States, it's the First Amendment. It's the most basic foundation of a constitution that has let us survive in better shape than any other country right now. And uh, 
it's it's being destroyed every day. I mean, our our amendments to our constitution have all been trampled on except for the second, which is the right to bear arms. And I mean, it's 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 like you say, it's dystopian nightmare. Well, I think the thing the thing is, it, it's not that the law has changed, taking away our the, the Americans' legal rights to free speech, but the law makes no difference when there's a, a, a log jam, a funnel, if you will, where all the data goes through a few companies in Silicon Valley, all of the platforms, and these are all these woke little brats. Your daddy bought them a diploma of some sort. They came out woke, um, and every every drop of information virtually filters through uh, through that log jam of, of, of big tech, and they can they can violate. Uh, our rights, uh, and I think it's mostly as a result of this. Two, is it Section Two Thirty exclusion that they get? Um, they can't be sued for content because they're all they claim to be bulletin boards. But because they edit selectively, they're clearly not a bulletin board, so they don't deserve uh, the Im immunity to being sued. But again, uh, those platforms make billions, and they have a lot of money to spread around. Uh, so I don't think that I, I don't our, our laws. The laws haven't been changed to take away the rights. But we've allowed uh, Facebook and YouTube and Google uh, to take over 99% of the information. And it's just a matter of pushing a few buttons and you disappear. If you say the wrong things about COVID, like actually quote real stats, you're gone. Peter Malone, the guy who invented the, the technology for mRNA, has been, he's been disappeared. So <laughs> let's, let's mention now the best sources of information for your listeners to uh, learn more. And I think the easiest way into this material are those two Rogan, Joe Rogan interviews. Now, whether, whether you like Joe Rogan or not, and I'm not a wonderful fan of his, his interviewing McCullough, who your, your uh, people will get to uh, see virtually, and also uh, Robert Malone, they were groundbreaking. And they happened in the last three to four weeks. And it's managed to convince a lot of America that uh, they're being lied to. And th these guys are tremendous academics there. And the other thing is there's a book which you guys can get from Amazon, uh, an ebook or a physical copy, uh, which is called um, The Real Anthony Fauci by RFK Jr., who is essentially throwing, he's throwing himself on this hand grenade to save America and the rest of the world. So, you know, he's a very left, um, friends with all these, uh, well, part of the left politicians and, and he's, he's, he's basically trying to get the truth out in order to save our constitution. Well, you know, I said earlier that it's become a political issue to a large extent and you immediately uh, opined that that wasn't always the case, which is why I said to, to, to a large extent, because there are plenty of exceptions. And, and there is a phenomenon that this is sort of, uh, brought to four, which is that a lot of wrong, in my opinion, but well-meaning leftists, people who believe what they say is right, and they just happen to be wrong, in my opinion, and I'm sure I'm wrong as far as they're concerned, but they have joined us uh, on this single issue. Um, and uh, take Russell Brand, uh, the comedian who now has a huge podcast, he gets hundreds of thousands of views every day. Um, he's quite far left politically, uh, because a few of his basic presuppositions are wrong, in my opinion, and uh, uh, that would lead him to the wrong conclusions. But he is 100% on board with us on COVID because he's a principled guy and he believes, uh, he believes what he says is right. He's not like Nancy Pelosi or someone like that who's 
you know, talks the talk and then screws her own uh, political base at every opportunity. Um, so it has sort of brought certain elements of the right and left together. It's sort of an issue if we were invaded by uh, Martians, you know, everybody on earth would suddenly be on the same team. Our little squabbles with, you know, with Russia or China would, would shrink if we were getting bombarded by, with ray guns from, you know, from spaceships. We could go back to fighting with each other once we'd beaten, beaten off the Martians. It's almost um, like that, Russell. It is. I, it I is agree. almost like that. Um, and and, and uh, until this, I, I think while this battle rages of uh, civilization, and it's literally that, the battle of civilization, Western civilization, which is us, against these savages who are trying to destroy hundreds of years of, of, of progress. Of uh, law. All from, of, just of rule money. of law. Yeah. For money, just for money, throw away everything. For what are they going to do with that money? They're going to where are they going to go live to, to enjoy that money if they if they succeed in destroying civilization? Where do they think they're going to be able to sit on the beach sipping champagne after they've destroyed us? Well, well, the uh, the analogy analogy I like to use is once you understand what's going on, you realize your feet are already in the alligator's mouth, and you don't have any choice but to struggle. And I'm working full time on this project, trying to red pill people and get get them to see what's going on in the face of kind of a a mass hysteria um, that uh, has been promulgated by this censorship. One thing that your listeners uh, probably don't fully understand is how pharmaceutical companies have been using propaganda and fake studies and fake articles and all kinds of things to promote their agenda uh, for decades. And the FDA cooperates in their faking of actual studies. So the FDA is entirely bought off by pharma. Over half of the revenues come directly from pharma in the form of user fees, which are fees that are incurred during the patent process. And it's turned the FDA into a sock puppet of big pharma. So, Absolutely. And where do you think where do you think those senior employees at the at the FDA hope to work someday? Yeah, you know, where they're going to rake in real money. And do you think they would get those jobs if they stood up and told the truth about Pfizer and, and these other companies? No. So they're not going to say anything. They they are they're they're looking to their they're putting their personal future above the people they're supposed to be protecting, as we talked about earlier. And the medical journals are the same. I mean, it's oh, just, absolutely uh, yeah. Well, you know more about that than do I. But the, from my understanding. Most of the most of the studies that come out in the medical journals these days are corrupt. Not all, but many. There, there's a uh, the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, is one of the last uh, decent journals standing out of the four or five uh, most uh, reputable ones. And they had an editorial about four months ago that let's see if I can find the exact um, title of the editorial, but it was essentially. Um, that it's time to assume that medical studies are fraudulent until proven otherwise. We have 95% ghostwriting rate. In other words, they're paid for by the corporations. They're ghostwritten by the corporations. They're reviewed by physicians who are paid by the corporations. And they're published by these editors who are directly paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year each by the corporations. So it's, uh, it's, it's a sad Sad story. How, how do they escape the conflict of, of, of interest declaration? Do they just ignore it? Well, no, that's that's the that's the sick part of it. In medicine, unlike law and, um, uh, you know, other other venues like uh, what's the other example? But in in legal situations or in other industries, if you actually have a conflict of interest, you have to recuse yourself. In other words, you have to get out of the decision making pro process. 
uh, and there can be criminal penalties if you don't do that. In medicine, all you have to do is list your quote sponsors, and that's called disclaiming your conflict of interest, and that's uh, that's enough in medicine, supposedly. And we think that these guys aren't influenced by money, but of course, you and I both know that the new golden rule is he he with the gold makes the rules. Always has been. Yeah, always uh, has. That's been. Not, there's nothing new there, Robert. That's how that's how human civilization goes. You have to realize the thing that I learned recently, and I'd never really stopped to think about it is there's really not nothing new going on now you, know, you because human nature has never changed. The technology's changed, but it's like watching Shakespearean plays uh, generation after generation. It's the same play over and over, only the actors change. Uh, but it's the same play because humans don't change. And you know th th this, this drama of, of greed versus, versus civilization has gone on before many times. We just happen to be here during the, the most recent uh, iteration of it. We, we've been we've been benefited by a rule of law that is almost unprecedented in history for yeah. 200 plus years. So yeah. I, we have to fight to keep it. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, but uh, you, you and I are trying. And I think if you manage to get the people in Guernsey to understand part of what's going on, it'll be a major triumph. I would, um, I would conclude by saying that um, even though I wrote the, uh, this textbook of medical corruption, I didn't fully understand the vaccine and what was going on in the worldwide stage until four, five, six months ago. And so we have to forgive the people who are captured by the hallucinations generated by all the propaganda and gently try to bring them uh, to reason. And neither one of us understand the whole thing either. I mean, none of us understand it all. It's, it's a worldwide, uh, very strange um, situation that uh, if anybody thinks there's not anything funny going on, on they have to they have to look at Australia, Germany, and Austria. Uh, and it's just freaking horrible. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's it, it, you, you, logic apparently doesn't exist anymore. If you're going to say to people, okay, you can't get on the airplane because you're not vaccinated. The only reason that that would be a valid policy is if being vaccinated made you impervious to the virus. So therefore you, would, you couldn't yeah. transmit it. Yeah. But if, if, if it doesn't stop you catching it and transmitting it, you have no societal advantage over an unvaccinated person if you have the virus. So it's, it's so obvious. A, 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 a three-year-old could see the logic in that. And yet, if you, if you, if you bring up something so simple as that one uh, simple logical precept, uh, you're, you're called a, a, a screwball or some sort of crackpot because you, you're, you're not in the, you've left the herd. And, and as you say, most of the herd, I don't think, are, are doing this for, for the wrong reasons. They just don't understand because the, their information streams are being systematically cut off. And if you're not, if you're not on the Internet, uh, I would suggest you talked earlier about the best sources of information. Uh, I watch uh, Steve Bannon every day. Uh, his podcast is probably the best, I would say, for, for keeping abreast of what's happening. And he's got a huge following in the millions um, Rogan, I like quite a bit, but he's obviously, he's on all sorts of, he's you know, very eclectic. He's all, you know, he's all over the shop, um, most of the time, but when he gets into a topic, what I like about Rogan is he really gets into it. He won't let the, he won't let his interviewee off the hook. If he evades a question with an indirect answer, he'll just keep going back and back and back as he did with that half wit from CNN that what's his name? Sanjay Gupta. He's a, what? he's a whore. A sniveling he, you little know, I, had, I had a great deal of respect for that guy before uh, I understood what he was up to. And he's a, a 
vaccine promoter, this harmful, I call it the clot shot, and he denies the existence of these therapies that McCullough will tell your group about. Well, Russell, is there anything else that you want to tell your uh, fellow Guernseyans about uh, before we sign off here? Well, don't believe what don't believe the narrative. Um, you know, we have an internet now, and you and at least for now, you still have the right to get information where you can find it. And uh, the people who are telling you what to do don't necessarily have your interest at heart. We'll, we'll put um, links in the show notes, but I want to note that I uh, another couple of podcasts that are excellent are Peter Bregan, B-R-E-G-G-I-N's podcast at bregan.com, and also um, RFK Jr.'s podcast. I mean, he's he's the best. So those are- oh, he, is. He, is. He, he, it's un, he has an unfortunate vocal affliction, which makes him come across perhaps as being a bit less authoritative than he, than he otherwise would be. There's just something about you know the, the deep booming voice that that gives you, you know, sort of the illusion of, of authority, which is really unlucky because if you just read transcripts of what Kennedy says, he's brilliant, brilliant. He's brilliant. You really just have to overlook that little quirk about the way he speaks um, and and listen to the words. And he he's one of the most articulate spokesmen uh, out there. I don't know anything about him. I never even knew he existed except just you know the most casual reference up until several months ago. And I don't know, I, I imagine being the son of Robert Kennedy and part of the Kennedy clan, he must be on the left politically generally. But as we talk about, we're, you know, we're all on the same team now fighting off the Martians. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great analogy. I really like that, Russell. <laughs> well, I guess we can leave on that note, but I, I really appreciate your time. And I, I hope you can, uh, you can get those guys to red pill your Guernseyans because they need to know the truth. And in Absolutely. Order to make well, good I mean, I want to, I'm supposed to be retired, but as you said, if, if, if an alligator jumps out of the lake and grabs you by the foot, you don't have the option of fighting or not fighting. So none of us, yeah, none of us have the option. We're back in the fight, like it or not. Uh, and we'll win. I don't, I wouldn't worry about that. You know, in the end we'll win um, because the rats, the, the, when, when it looks dangerous, the rats will all jump the ship at the same time. It Whereas looks, we won't. We have nothing it, to fear. It looks like there's a trend towards that. The World Health Organization made a statement saying that, um, essentially saying that the the uh, touch-up jabs or whatever you call them, the boosters, were yeah. not the way to go. And so this looks like a crack in the wall. There are other people who are part of the mainstream who are saying the same thing. So it's looking like they see Omicron, which is very infectious but completely harmless, and which also immunizes you permanently in all likelihood against other variants of COVID is the, it, it looks like they're gonna to try to use this as a way out of the, uh, out of the pandemic. But we, nature's, we have to- Nature's perfect vaccine, I think you could describe it because exactly. uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding uh, of why natural immunity confers immunity against future strains is that the vaccines, to the extent they work at all, and they really don't very well, but the small amount of protection they give you is against a certain number of spike proteins that have affixed themselves to the viral particle. And in the mutations, by definition, if, again, if I understand it correctly, are the spike proteins changing. So the old vaccine won't do anything or, or almost nothing against, against the, the new variants. But right. the, the natural immunity is not only against the few spike proteins, it's the entire viral particle. So the mutation of the spike proteins doesn't affect the natural immunity. Uh, which makes a, an absolute joke of the fact that someone who's had COVID and, and probably is immune to every variant uh, that, that, that we could anticipate is treated like a second-class citizen. But somebody who once had a month or two of 
limited immunity from the vaccine, but now has no protection and probably a weakened immune system, is, is allowed to go into restaurants in Paris, but, but uh, an, an unvaccinated recovered person can't. So you couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. I, I forgot to put my disclaimer at the start of this thing. Here it is. Um, you know, I'm forced to do this because of the lawyers, the plaintiff's lawyers and so on. God knows what they could allege against you. Um, this is uh, information, not, it's not uh, specific healthcare information for individuals. Find a doctor if you want, if you get sick and uh, uh, use this information at your own risk. And I would add in closing, my feeling is if you have a kid and a kid down the, the block has COVID, you should send them to a party with the other kids. So he, they all get infected. About 70% of the kids in America now have been infected and they're immune for all intents and purposes for it's lifelong. So um, that's, that's my feeling uh, about it. But, I, I, uh, I agree, yeah. but I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think it would be a good idea to, to give that advice randomly to the public without putting yourself at risk of being sued. But it's well, met from a medical point of view, that's got to be the best advice. It's uh, like a measles Especially party. with kids who won't even, yeah. in many cases, won't even get a cough if they catch COVID. They won't even know they've had it in many cases. Um, and at work, my kids had Delta, which, which we caught about six months ago. And they got a little bit ill. They, they had a cough for two weeks. And that yeah. was it, a cough. And uh, w w was I going to allow them to risk being ruined for life by getting a, a job that could give them myocarditis to avoid a cough? Exactly. It's insanity. The real vaccine card is your documentation that you've had the disease. So if you if you get sick, I recommend getting a, um, you know, a test. And if the world returns to sanity, your documentation from a real physician provider uh, will be your ticket out of this thing. It isn't now, unfortunately. Well, as long as Pfizer controls the narrative, um, natural immunity is thought of as a poor cousin to to the vaccine. So we have that, but we, it, it, you can, you, how do you not, how do you eat an elephant, Robert? One bite at a time. <laughs> right. You eat the elephant one bite at a time. So we're not going to have big victories every day. You can just keep chipping away, chipping away. And uh, in the end, we'll get there. But it's not going to be tomorrow and it's not going to be the day after tomorrow. It's going to take a concerted and long-term effort. I guess the only thing we didn't touch upon was if you have no symptoms, you cannot spread the virus because the virus does not teleport, right? The virus does not transmit itself with, through beam technology from the Starship Enterprise to the surface of the earth or from one person to another. So that's, it's ridiculous, this idea that you're, it, it, it's, a, it's a method to scare the dickens out of everybody. I mean, it's crazy. And just well, to get them under control. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I, I think that uh, it, this is nothing new. You know, political despots, uh, usually who are people who really couldn't succeed in, 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 uh, in a meritocracy, either you know, the free market, the private sector. Um, once they get in power, um, they all get sort of the Mussolini complex and, and want to stay in power forever. Witness, you know, I mean, in the U.S. now, the, the Democrats are trying to change the federal election system with, in a way that would never allow anyone to challenge them. Um, it's just the natural evolution. If, if uh, these political despots are allowed free reign, this is what they do. It's happened a million times before. Russell, I'm grateful for your time, and I hope you find this useful in uh, letting your uh, constituents understand uh, the the prospect of you know this meeting you're going to have, which I think will it'll be historic for Guernsey. I think it'll be great. Yeah, well, I've got quite a few people in the U.S. in the thousands who uh, I, I who have read some of the stuff I've written, so I'll, I'll make sure they get they get a look at this as well.
I, I'm, I'm grateful for your time and we'll chat for a second after I uh, stop recording. Yeah, okay.